Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly Food for Thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckus join me shortly in our topics this week. Baseball striking out in KCK. Democrats and Republicans striking out at Chris Kobach. And Sly James in striking distance of saying goodbye to City Hall. Plus roast and toast. But we start with our newsmaker segment and welcome an incoming member of the Kansas City, Missouri City Council. Kevin O'Neill was elected at large and without opposition to represent the 1st District. Kevin runs the Labor Beacon newspaper and is part of a family with a long record of service in the Kansas City civic and political communities. Kevin O'Neill, welcome to Ruckus. Thank you, Mike. Great, Great to, to see you again. Great to be here. Been a long time. Has been. 40 years, you worked at a radio station where <laughs> I worked some years back. Yes. Uh, you have a busy career at the newspaper. Uh, why run for the city council? You know, I've, I've followed politics in Kansas City for, for a long time. In fact, my father was in politics in the 60s and 70s. My brother's been in it in the 80s and 90s. And going back to 1916, my great-grandfather, John Patrick O'Neill, was the first district city councilman in Kansas City, Missouri. So we have a rich history of politics. I, I've never been in front of the camera with politics, so this is my first foray into that. But I, I'm 63 years old. I really believe I can make a difference. I'm never going to be the smartest guy in the room, but I feel like I can make decisions, and I'm logical. Are you going to continue to run the newspaper? I am. My wife's retired, and she's going to do more of the work than, than I do, and she'll probably make it a much better paper. How would you describe the Labor Beacon? What exactly is it? It's, it's, I go out, I have about 30,000 subscribers that are all in unions, and they're union members, and they work in all the different fields, and I cover issues that face them. Um, I cover the legislature, whether it's in Jeff City or in Topeka, City Hall in both KCK and Kansas City, Missouri. So pretty much politics has become such an issue within labor that that's probably my uh, leading topics. Is it fair cases. and balanced? Uh, no. <laughs> it's slanted it's, toward the labor viewpoint. Towards labor because there isn't a slant well, there. Well, sure. This is the only, I'm, you know, I never well, pretend. At least you admit it and yes. you, you say it openly. I pretend, no, I don't pretend to be a no. subjective reporter. I'm, I'm objective. Well, when you have a paper called the Labor yes. Beacon, you you're expect not, it to you're represent You're not going to highlight CEOs. <laughs> and on that basis, uh, because your background is so labor-oriented, do you see your role on the council as labor's representative or do you have to have a broader perspective? Oh, I think I have to have a broader perspective, but I always look at labor as a barometer. When you, when your labor is involved in an industry, wages are better. When you take that, that barometer out, it become it gets lower and lower. And so I, I consider what I do for all working people because you need the labor unions to keep the non-union people's wages up. Is this a good time for labor in Kansas City? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the the work around town, especially in the building and construction trades, is great with the airport and with the Cerner project and the and the multi, multitude of work going on downtown. Yeah, this is good time for labor. Uh, during the campaign, a lot of talk about stopping the tax incentives, the TIFs, yes. for big ticket developments. But those big developments supply a lot of work for people in labor unions and people who aren't in labor unions. So 
uh, that's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? Well, ironically, unions don't get a lot of that work. A lot of that incentive work doesn't have prevailing wage on it. And, and when, when, when there is no prevailing wage on a project, it gets more difficult for labor unions to get that work. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm on the board of the PIEA, which is a, a commission that uh, grants abatements. And my problem is not giving abatements out to corporations or big companies and big buildings and flashy new stuff. My problem is the is the incentives they give out to projects that are just not worthy of it. And you know, I'll use the one on 47th and Bellevue as an example. It goes downhill into the plaza. That to me is not worthy of a tax incentive because it's it's right near the plaza. I think geography is something that we have to look at more importantly, as well as what the definition of blight is. KCI is in your district, is it not? No, it, it is in the second district, so, but I'm at large. Okay, so. uh, the first district is. What, the East Bottoms and the eastern it, part of Northland? It's Clay County, pretty much bordered by I-35 going up north and North Oak going up north. And what are people concerned about? What did you hear? I know you didn't have to run a, against anybody, right. but I'm sure you talked to voters during the campaign. I think the biggest, during the last two years, the biggest issue has been trash. Um, I, I, we just, I, I live up there. We, they don't pick up our trash on time. They're, Jim's the uh, subcontractor for that project, is just not doing the job. So I think the idea of bringing that in-house was a huge for especially the Northland residents. You're getting ready to get rolling with the council? I am. I had dinner with uh, Quentin last night, and I I'm so excited about his vision. That, and what That's he mayor to you. I'm sorry, mayor-elect. <laughs> anyway, Kevin, it's great to see you again. You, uh, congratulations on your victory. I hope you have a good time on the council. Look forward to you coming back from time to time and filling yeah. us in. Great. I appreciate you having me. All right, me. sir. That is incoming Kansas City, Missouri Councilman Kevin O'Neill. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. John Stevens is president and CEO of Port KC. Patrick Tuey is director of municipal policy for the Show Me Institute, a free market think tank. Joining the panel for the first time is Laura Isabel Alvarez, a consultant and community activist. And Dave Trobert is president of the Kansas Policy Institute. Laura, welcome to Ruckus. Thanks for joining the panel. Hope you have a, a fun time. I'm sure you will. <laughs> and welcome back to the rest of you. We have much to discuss, so let us begin. It is almost time to bid goodbye to Sly. Sly James ends his eight years as Kansas City, Missouri mayor on August the 1st, succeeded by Quentin Lucas. James has been a visible and vocal mayor, seen and heard in many locations, maintaining a hectic schedule. He's had what he termed successes, the downtown streetcar and the new airport, and he's had some failures, most recently the overwhelming defeat of a pre-K education program he backed. Before we assess James' tenure, a couple of quick points. The Kansas City mayor is not a CEO. The mayor is one of 13 city council votes he does have veto power and some other marginal authority. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 meaning dismal, 10 meaning outstanding, what number do you assign to Mayor James and why? And we begin with our newest panelist, Laura. Well, let's just start. Nobody's perfect. And Why are you saying that <laughs> looking at me? <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Um, but, you know, given uh, all of the great things that he's brought to our city and all of the doors that he's opened, I think I would rate him very high. I, the opportunity zone that doesn't give him a 10 is, uh, this is the review, right? The opportunity zone is 
violence in Kansas City over eight years did not improve at all. And so I think there's a huge opportunity that was missed there with his leadership. Um, but I, I would give him a solid 7.5. All right, Patrick, uh, I know you've had mixed views about uh, the Sly James oh, administration. <laughs> uh, on, on the zero or the one to ten scale, what's your number? I, I think I would put him a five, and that's probably generous. So I'm glad that you started off by pointing out that he's more a Speaker of the House than he is a President of the United States. Uh, he doesn't run the administration. Uh, you can look at, as a result, at the end of his eight years, uh, as Laura said, the homicide rate is, is not only high, but one of the highest in the nation. Public debt is high. Taxes are higher. Uh, and the number of police officers we have is lower than when he started. Uh, but, but frankly, the other way you can judge a politician is what happened on their watch that happened because of them. I think if we had elected Mike Burke for two years, we would have a hotel, an airport, and a streetcar. So I think Mayor James is a placeholder mayor at best. I don't think anything happened because of him. I think he just was mayor for eight years while things happened. Uh, if Burke were mayor, he's the one who owns the hotel, of course, well, it the, would be built. Right, and well, he, well, it, maybe Sly James would have owned the hotel if Burke were mayor. All right, uh, John, I know you follow all this pretty closely. <laughs> yeah. And you have to work uh, with the city council in your role as yeah. president of uh, Port Casey. Yeah. Uh, and I think you've been kind of a fan of Sly James. I have. So wh what number do you assign? I, have. I, uh, I, would, I would give him I, probably an eight. And I think that's because of exactly how you opened, that it is not a CEO form. It, it is a weak mayor form of government. And I think coming out of Funkhauser with eight years, he guided the messaging and he guided a lot of momentum for the city in a lot of different projects in a lot of different ways. And he quickly learned that you can't be a one-issue or two-issue mayor. You have to be a hundred-issue mayor. He did have failings like any mayor. I think any mayor in any major American city can't tackle it all. There are things that they misstep on. And I would say, if you were to be critical of Mayor James, the one criticism I would say is with things such as pre-K, a great idea executed without building a consensus behind him. He doesn't like criticism much, does he? Uh, no, no, he does not. Um, and, and, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, and I would say that is certainly one. And, and in the things he was successful with, he built a consensus. The ones he didn't, he went out alone. Dave, let me bring you in. You're not a Kansas Cityan, per se, not a Kansas City, Missourian, per se. <laughs> right. but, but let me ask you this. Do you think if there weren't term limits on Kansas City, Missouri, city council and mayors, he could win a third term? Sly James could win a third term? It's hard to say, Mike, uh, I, but I'd say thank goodness for term limits. Uh, <laughs> not, not just for, for Sly James, but, but we need term limits in this country. Uh, it, it's possible that he could get elected to a third term, although uh, his resounding defeat on the pre-K idea, which I, I would respectfully disagree, was not a good idea. It's not the kind of a thing that uh, a city government should get involved in. Uh, so, I, but maybe he doesn't. So maybe if, if based on that, maybe he doesn't get reelected. Well, let me get you to do the one to ten ranking for Mayor Sly James. What what number would you give? I, I think I'd agree with with Patrick. A, a kind of a generous five. Uh, wasn't horrible, but but really didn't do anything special. That that, that as he said is a good point. Well, the two what of else? You, the two of you are known for your generosity. <laughs> We are. <laughs> Interesting thing about the Kansas City, Missouri mayor and, and mayors in other mm -hmm. cities as well is they're both the executive and part of the legislative. Mm -hmm. They vote on issues and they can veto, or at least James can veto an issue mm -hmm. and then vote 
to override the veto. So we talk about uh, the mayor of Kansas City being a weak mayor, and, and I think that's misleading because the fact that Mayor James has the veto power over the budget is a huge power, and research has indicated when they look at mayors of, of all different types of cities that the power to veto is one of the most significant powers that any mayor can have, and it's been the basis of my criticism of Mayor James's. Uh, uh, unwillingness to work on police issues. He has the power to veto. He chooses not to exercise it. Well, the veto power is something that's a significant uh, power for chief executives Absolutely. and any of the government agencies. All right, baseball is called America's pastime, <clears throat> but it may well be pastime for the game in Wyandotte County. The county's semi-pro team called the T-Bones is in severe financial difficulty. The team's owner says he's looking to sell and is confident a buyer will keep the team local. Over the 16 years of its existence, the team's financial difficulties have led the unified government to get involved. First, the government bought the stadium from the owner of the team at a cost of $8 million to taxpayers and later agreed to share utility costs. Apparently, not much sharing took place. As a result, the T-Bone's ownership owes the unified government about $365,000, another $400,000 to the Board of Public Utilities. So let's start with some baseball talk. Has the unified government struck out on this deal, Patrick? Absolutely. And they had to know this was coming. Attendance had been down for years, but they, uh, perhaps because government doesn't understand or doesn't have a profit motive, they're not spending their own money, they're spending other people's money, and they fell in love with the idea of having a uh, a baseball uh, program there, but it was failing and it was writing on the wall. And two years ago, when we talked about this, I said this won't work, and it didn't work. And you can't, you should have governments get out of the way of business, but they absolutely shouldn't be subsidized, certainly not baseball, certainly not baseball stadiums. It's an awful idea, and I would hope that the region would learn a lesson. Do, do, you, do you think the owner is going to be able to sell the team and the new owner will come in and? pay the back taxes and uh, the BPU? No, I, I have no idea. My fear is that the unified government gets even more involved and decides that they'll take over. If, if there isn't a private owner who looks at this and says, this is a great idea, I want to invest my own money in it, if that isn't happening... If somebody wants to do it for fun, and doesn't right. care about profit or laws, just wants to do it, then it would be a great deal. It could be a great deal. I don't know how much fun a loss yeah. year over year is. Depends on the loss and who's... <laughs> right. Uh, How much during it? Yeah, uh, John, you yeah. worked over in Kansas, Kansas, Wyandotte County, yeah. uh, at least part of the time that yeah. this was going on. Is there any justification for what the government did? Well, you know, I, I have I, I share some of the some of the opinions and concerns of Patrick, but generally, overall. The T-Bones were a decision that was made by the community 15 plus years ago, and they had years of success there. Did, as, they, did they vote on it? Uh, well, the, the commissioners did. Yeah. Were elected. Elected, it wasn't elected a public officials. vote. It wasn't a um, citywide vote. They, they made the vote. decision that they believed that that to grow the community, to grow the the, the base of of Western Wyandotte County, they needed another attraction like the T Bones. Whether that was a right or wrong decision, the the challenge comes in to me is when you have a minor league team, particularly an unaffiliated minor league team. Those are uh, really tenuous type. Uh, teams uh, as far as profitability, profit loss, and anything. And in most other communities that have determined that they want a team like that for whatever reason, uh, those are usually fully just owned stadiums. They're community stadiums that are used for many other purposes, and the team plays in them. This was one where I think the unified government kind of maybe structured the deals wrong. 
did then then doubled down on that decision and then tripled down. Well, on it's that decision. near the legends, which is a big success for a absolutely. unified government. And, and and let's let's not let, let's not say that this has been a, a complete and abject failure. That there is still a stadium that has value. There's still a lot of land there that has value. There's still ways to program that or reprogram that. I just think that this owner has struggled, and I don't know that they'll find a new owner, but I bet they'll find new purposes for that state. Laura, do you think there are some reasons governments should get involved with sports franchises like tourism, community pride, commercial interests? You know, uh, let's look at the data. So 46 major stadiums were built since 2000. 36 were financed through tax-free municipal bonds costing taxpayers over $3.2 billion. In our country, taxpayers' monies can be placed in, I don't know, addressing violence, you know, homelessness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, entertainment is a privilege that I think taxpayer dollars should not have a priority with. So I don't think that, that, that governments should focus or make uh, spending on, on sports uh, a priority. Should I take that as a no? Totally. <laughs> uh, how about Jackson County, Kansas City, Missouri? They haven't done badly with their investments in the sports complex, have they? Well, Mike, it's, it, it, whether they've done badly is, is, is subjective. Would that exist without it? Uh, I, I agree with Laura. Uh, th this is not something that government should be involved in. They, they often say, you know, if we build it, they will come, except they don't. Uh, I mean, Wichita. Well, not to the T-bones, that's for sure. Uh, well, you know, they, they don't. And, and, and frankly, if, if elected officials had a great track record of picking winners and losers, when they finish their term as mayor or city council, they'd move on to Wall Street and, and make investments. And, and that's not really what they do. Most of these things turn out to be bad losers. It's not something they should be involved in. As I said, I, I, I think that, that particularly minor league baseball is, is, a, is a pretty big gamble. But you look right down the street, Sporting Park, Sporting Kansas City, very successful. Uh, the Speedway, through many, many years and still ongoing, has been very successful. And I think that those compelled the rest of the development. And they have put $12 million back in, and they've been able to lower the mill and put money back into general services, particularly well, the, downtown. The NASCAR Speedway is what saved... It, Wyandotte County it, from economic failure. <laughs> absolutely. But, but, John, they may have lowered the mill, but not lowered it near enough. The property tax increase in Wyandotte County is multiple times greater than inflation and population. We're, we're not lowering the mill. We're going to lower the boom. <laughs> lower the boom because we're out of time. We've got to move on. Uh, no one is surprised when a prominent Republican announces a run for office and there's loud criticism from Democrats. It is a bit odd, however, to hear harsh criticism from other Republicans. But that's indeed what happened when former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach announced he's running for the U.S. Senate next year. The man he hopes to succeed, Senator Pat Roberts, offered little enthusiasm. The Republican Senatorial Committee blasted Kobach, who lost last year's gubernatorial race to Democrat Laura Kelly. And the U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he hopes Kansas native Mike Pompeo, now the Secretary of State, will get into the Senate race. Yes, Kobach has lost elections, but he has also won some, serving twice as Kansas Secretary of State. So, Dave, are Kobach's critics writing him off too soon, or are they just reading the writing on the wall? Well, Mike, there's supposedly a, a picture of Mike Pompeo in Mitch McConnell's office, and it says, in case of Kobach, break glass. 
<laughs> and I, I think that that's uh, representative of a lot of concern that, that we're hearing as we move around the state from, including from some Kobach fans who say that, uh, you know, he had his shot at running for the, for the governor, it didn't turn out well, and there's no reason to believe that this next campaign would be any different. Well, let me ask you this, though, Dave. Aren't the issues in a Senate race markedly different from issues in a, governor, a gubernatorial race? Uh, they, they are different, but uh, too often we don't get into the real issues. We certainly didn't get into the real issues uh, in the governor's race. Uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, in, in Kobach's case, there is, it's usually just one issue, uh, and there are a lot more issues than immigration. Do, do you think Pompeo is going to get into the race? I think that the likelihood of him getting in is, is much higher with Kobach in. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, I, I, that is a joke, obviously, about the picture, but it's a real concern. I mean, it is, the, the very fear is that with Kobach in, frankly, if, if someone like Pompeo doesn't get in, you're probably going to see Kathleen Sebelius jump in, mm -hmm. and that would run the risk of flipping the Senate. Democrat, Democrat, former governor of Kansas. Right. Laura, I don't know you well. I'm going to make a wild guess that you're not a Kobach fan. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> what, what kind of issues would Democrats use against Kobach if he were the nominee? Well, I hope that they would um, jump on the taxes bandwagon. There's a lot of financial um, questions that I have for how he's um, been as an individual, which I think if he can't manage his own finances, do we want him in the Senate? Um, and then he knowingly hired um, immigrants, or maybe that's the rumor. And so with his... Um, legislation agenda and, you know, kind of being a hypocrite, I would hope that we, uh, the Democrats, would um, kind of say something What about do you that. think would happen if Kobach was a nominee? What would they so complain first, about? <clears throat> uh, so first, let me say that I have a horrible record in predicting election outcomes <laughs> in Kansas. Let me uh, say I know that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I expected Kobach to run away with it last time. So I, I think you will see a nationalized election in Kansas because Democrats will completely take the bait. They will talk only about immigration in Kansas. They will paint Kobach as a, a xenophobe, as a bigot, which will uh, perhaps help energize his base. The problem is we've got a lot of Republicans who are um, trolling Democrats, and the Democrats take the bait every time, including our president. And uh, if they can run a calm, sane uh, a race in Kansas about the issues, I think that that's good for Democrats. But if they make this about immigration and national issues, that helps cope. Uh, John, do you think 2020 is going to be the year a Democrat is elected to the U.S. Senate for the first time since, as I said last week, before I was even born? I, I, I think if, if Mr. Kobach is, is the presumptive Republican nominee, I think they have a, a pretty good shot. And the reason, I would boil it down to just a much simpler message. Mr. Kobach has never represented Kansans uh, in really any of his roles. He's, he's looked to national and international issues in almost every one of his roles. You need someone who's going to represent Kansans who are going to vote for him, for or against or for someone else. Uh, one quick question for you, sure. Dave. Uh, Barbara Bollier is talking about running for the Senate as a Democrat. Do you think she would be a winning candidate? No. <laughs> no, but... Uh, because, uh, I mean, she has huge name recognition issues. Uh, Senator Bollier uh, ha has her own identity crisis. She was a Republican Probably. for so many years, mm -hmm. voted like a Democrat. No, I, no, no. <laughs> All right. 
Time now to go to the soapbox and have roast and toast, where the Ruckheads have 30 seconds each to <laughs> obliterate, vacillate, or hyperventilate. Up first is John. I want to give an incredibly obvious one of the easiest toasts I've given to the thousands of American men and women who made, 50 years ago, July 20th, made the Apollo 11 mission possible. Um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were, were the ones to land on the surface of the moon, but 600 million people watched it and it inspired generations of Americans to look to the stars, to look to science, to look to math, uh, and, and to, uh, to think towards a positive future. Laura. I'm going to toast all the outgoing city council people. Um, they did a phenomenal job while they were there, in my opinion. So, cheers. Dave? Uh, I'm sorry, Patrick. A roast to the city council for their <laughs> vote to give a $350,000 bailout to a Sunfesh grocery store that was built with millions in taxpayer money, pays only $10 a year in rent, and still cannot pay its bills. The people of the east side have sent a clear message. They do not care enough for this store to shop there in sufficient numbers. Propping up Sunfresh not only a waste, is not only a waste of money, but an endangered success of other nearby grocery stores, such as Leon's Thriftway, that are serving the needs of customers. All right, uh, Dave. Uh, I'll give you fair warning. This is an honest-to-goodness toast to the Kansas City Star. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> The Star hired an honest-to-goodness conservative on their editorial board. Uh, Michael Ryan is a breath of fresh air. And, and Tony Berg, publisher of The Star, if you're listening, please put those editorials outside the paywall so conservatives can actually find them. <laughs> and finally, I'm an animal lover, but no fan of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. It sometimes takes ridiculous positions like this one. PETA wants the city of Caldwell, Idaho, to change the name of Chicken Dinner Road because, and I quote, words matter. Clearly that's true for the chickens who can read. I'm sure PETA supporters will be offended when they recognize that my criticism of them is what we call on ruckus a roast, <laughs> like in roast chicken. <laughs> And that's Ruckus for this week. We are back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks for watching and good night.